Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. You have a release of dopamine when you eat a large amount of sugar as well as serotonin. And you just, it's just like, I feel more calm. And when people are stressed, that's what they turn to. They're not turning to a bowl of noodles. They're going to go for whatever the sweet roll, the piece of candy, whatever it is, sweet. And that's because they're getting a large hormonal response, but it leaves you lower than it found you. So if you were at, at a certain level, then that's going to raise you up and you feel better. But then you're rapidly, when I say rapidly, this is oftentimes in less than 30 minutes, then you fall back to where you back below where you were before and you're even lower than where you were when you ate sweet. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we explore life through the lens of somatics. I'm Luis Mojica, a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety in themselves. Your turn to learn begins now. I'm back with the uh, illustrious Karen Hurd and very excited <laughs> very excited to dive into this with you i thought it, my team and i were talking about what to have you on about because you're you're one of our favorite guests and the thing we thought would be really great was a seasonal session or seasonal episode that talks about kind of the three offenders um of the nervous system and the adrenals and the liver and what you know what hormones whatever else you want to bring in that we tend to navigate the most october november december that those are uh, chemical fragrances, refined carbohydrates, and sugars. So let's just where do you let's start there, and you tell me where you want to go. Okay. Well, 
fragrances. I mean, that's very much a part of the season because everybody has to have their little simmering pot of whatever <laughs> on the stove. So when you walk in, it smells like Christmas or smells like whatever you're trying to create. But um, unfortunately, uh, fragrances, they're, they're pheromones. The pheromone is um, tiny little molecule that will stimulate receptor sites on the olfactory um, receptor cells that are in our nasal passages and then they also go up into part of our brain and so they these receptor sites recognize the smell so we can say oh that smells like whatever it is but it also triggers a production of hormones that's why people everybody knows this that when i smell this fragrance i feel better i feel more calm or i feel like i'm so angry i just it just makes me mad this fragrance you know and so mm -hmm. well what are those are those recognition of the fragrance is that no these are hormones that are being released and so those hormones then affect how we feel how we behave how we think at the moment and so they're really hormones are incredibly important and so when we are purposely triggering their production, then we need to be prepared for some type of, mostly it's a backlash, a negative backlash. It's not just this positive, you know, I feel great feeling. So fragrances, um, as far as the carbohydrates. Wait, wait, so let's stop there a minute. What, tell us right. about the backlash. You know, what, because I think of, um, I think of when someone has something, let's say like lavender oil. Because, you know, we're not, I'll often talk about chemical fragrances, but I haven't talked about essential oils with you. And that's oh. one of the biggest questions I get from people that heard our last episode about fragrance. Like, well, what about essential oils? Um, essential oils are also plant hormones. So I'm curious, what, you know, I'm assuming they're less harmful than a chemical fragrance because they're natural still. But you tell me, what, what have your studies shown you? I don't think they're less harmful. I think they're just every bit as harmful um, because they are eliciting the same responses. And we say, but they're natural. So anything natural automatically we we equate to good. Yeah. Well, then I guess we should equate poison ivy with good because poison mm -hmm. ivy is natural. So is poison oak and mosquitoes. You know, they are they are. You know, what what good are they? But they're natural. I mean, just because <laughs> something is natural. So I shouldn't go rubbing poison. I shouldn't rub poison ivy all over my face and enjoy I, its I, natural benefits. I do not recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you could really be in a lot of pain and trouble. But we we have to be very careful about that and not equate the word natural with automatically good. No, they they are eliciting the same response, but. And people always come back and they'll say, well, you know, what about, you know, these are natural. Like if you go out in nature, you would smell these things. We do. But people don't realize that the essential oils are highly, highly concentrated. Mm -hmm. They are not just taking, like if you took um, a rose and you brought it into your home, then it's going to elicit a smell. Mm -hmm. But that smell is not very strong. And in fact, usually you have to put your nose in the rose to be able to smell it. I don't even, this is just an aside, but it does have everything to do with it. When you get roses from a florist, you know, you want to give a dozen roses to your, your sweetheart or whatever. Do you know they actually spray the roses with a rose perfume so that they mm -hmm. smell more like roses? Because yeah. the rose itself is not putting off a strong enough scent. And then, and then, then we have to understand where these are mostly happening 
it's always outside of nature. So if I walk by a lilac bush, lilacs are, have a very wonderful smell to them. But I don't sit there and bury my nose mm-hmm. in a lilac mm-hmm. bush and just inhale it and inhale it and continue. No, I'm walking by the lilac bush on my way to wherever I'm going. And so it is there. And maybe when you have your bedroom window open at night, there might be a little breeze that will waft a little bit of the lilac smell into your room, but it's gone in moments. Mm -hmm. When we wear these essential oils, we put them on our neck. We put them wherever we put them, you know, (laughs) and they are something that is with us now 24 7 and in a very concentrated form Mm -hmm. and that's where the problem is if it was just out in nature in its natural farm form then it's not a problem but so that's really nice to hear because they're derived they're naturally derived yet they're concentrated in the laboratory so they're not they're as natural as um sugar right? It's like sugar is derived from a plant, but it's distilled and concentrated. It's the same analogy. It's exactly the same. So So the response is the same. You're saying that, uh, okay, the difference with a chemical fragrance is it lasts longer, right? Because it's it's a plastic and it has all those different compounds we talked about last time, like the the, the molecules are so tiny. So it lasts longer where an essential oil, it, it really doesn't. I mean, if I put one on my skin after couple hours i can barely smell it anymore whereas the synthetic one is like right there like i just applied it mm-hmm. however when it's first i don't use essential oils anymore either but when i first would apply an essential oil and it's really fragrant it's really big let's say it's under my neck or it's in my shampoo so it's all over my hair near my eyes and my nose is that stress response we talked about still occurring is the same stress response as if it was a chemical fragrance is that correct it is the same stress response as the chemical fragrance. You're still responding. Yeah. That's what matters to me uh, because I get so curious about, because the origin of things, that's that's that could be semantics, but what does the body actually do in response to it? Um, and I like the, the idea of I'm walking past a lilac bush, a lilac tree, which we have a bunch out there, and the wind blows and it's like this wonderful moment, but it's a moment. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not fro- I'm not frozen in time with this lilac perfume in my face. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then if you were frozen in time with the lilac perfume in your face, you would have a negative response to it. Yeah. Like hives, yourself... sneeze, watery eyes, that kind of thing. And feeling yourself on edge. Why are you mm-hmm. becoming angry so easily? Why are you no more? Your patience is out the window. You don't have it anymore. What mm-hmm. has happened to you? You are having these hormonal responses and it's just Stop. I want to apologize to everybody listening to this who's <laughs> rushing to take back their Christmas gifts <laughs> that are filled with essential oils. Uh, no, this is great. I, I wanted to kind of, um, I wanted to have like a fun downer episode where we talk about these kind of top three things because they're so prevalent. You know, when I go to the store and it's November and December during the holiday seasons, Everywhere I go, I'm smelling chemical fragrance. <laughs> Everywhere I go, I'm seeing cookies. I'm seeing tons of refined carbohydrates, baked goods. So so similar, I like how this is all the same. What do I want to call it? I want to call it mechanism. That doesn't feel like the right word, but it's the same expression where there's a natural element, a whole, something in its wholeness, its whole intelligent form, like the flower outside. Mm-hmm. And then humans take it concentrate and make it really potent and then the, the the substance that's created that's really potent now has the negative effect on the body so the same thing as let's go into uh, refined carbohydrates let's talk about like oats or wheat or rice or grain like there's the whole ground the whole thing 
put into whether it's made into a bread or whether it's made into a gruel or some kind of porridge. But then we have the refined, the ultra-refined carbohydrate where you've removed all nutrition and what's left is essentially sugar. T- tell us about what those products are and what they do to your body. Okay. Well, those those are concentrated, those concentrate concentrated sources of carbohydrates. And so we have, as you mentioned, the whole grains. So that would be a complex carbohydrate. But when you strip away the fiber, which slows the absorption of the carbohydrate, then what happens is these sugars, because that's what they are, all carbohydrates convert into blood glucose or sugar. And so then they can enter the bloodstream more rapidly as when they are hindered because they have the rest of the plant with them, which is all the fiber, then they, their, their structure can, it, they're just slowed. They still enter, but they're slowed. And that's what we want. We want just a very slight rise in blood glucose, and then it drops slightly, no spikes. Mm-hmm. And what we have done is, you know, you could have a piece of white bread, but if you had it at your meal and you have your vegetables, which are fiber, and you have your mm-hmm. beans, which are more fiber, and you have your protein, all of that slows that one little piece of white bread down. So it's you're never going to notice it. It's not going to be a bother to you. But Luis, our meals are not like that. Our meals, they're all they are, are noodles. And you think of a think of a classic spaghetti meal, okay? You have the noodles, you have some spaghetti sauce, but you have the noodles. And then uh, oftentimes it's in a marinara sauce. So you don't have any meat. So it's just tomato sauce with noodles. Then you have to have your, your bread stick or your French bread, some type of bread. And then what is the vegetable of choice? It's not a salad. It's corn. Mm. Corn, people, I'm, I'm still, uh, you know, trying to get this into people's heads. People think corn is a vegetable. Mm-hmm. Corn is a grain. It's a grain. Yep. It's a grain. It's just like wheat or, you know, and, and so then you have your corn. And so what you have is a meal that is all very concentrated carbohydrate. And so then you'll have a you'll have this rise in blood glucose because you didn't have any protein to slow it down, you didn't have hardly any fiber to slow it down, you know. And so it's just mm-hmm. all we're we're back to all carbs. And then when we get it's interesting because I'm thinking of um especially when I was a nutritionist, I'm sure you get this too, when I'd be looking at someone's daily kind of intake of food and what it looked like, it's usually some kind of baked good with coffee in the morning. And what? then lunchtime some kind of sandwich and chips and then dinner some kind of pasta right or bread meal or pizza even something and it's essentially the base of their diet are is refined carbohydrate whether it's a crust i think what will be helpful for people to hear as we're talking about this is when we're saying refined carbohydrate i want everyone to think of flour let's all just just imagine that the grain has been milled into a powder and there's so many things we make from the flour that seem to have form right kind of like tricks you like you see a cracker you see a cookie, you see a muffin, you see pizza crust, bread. It looks like this like formed thing. But the moment you chew that, your body takes it right down. And, uh, you know, the amylase and such in the saliva, it takes it right down to the glucose you're talking about. So these formed, seemingly hearty things, they're just hardened sugar in a way. And then we're eating it and then it's turning into to glucose even faster because it's not whole and it's not bound to, like you're saying, these other fibrous things. I think it's fascinating to bring in how fiber slows the absorption or the release of sugar. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference of, um, let's say, a piece of white bread and actually like a bowl of steel-cut oats? Like what's the difference of how the body responds to that? Well, when you look at fiber, it's classified technically by the 
the feds in the United States Department of Agriculture, the FDA, they have defined fiber as a carbohydrate. But fiber give, doesn't, and every carbohydrate gives off four calories per gram. That's the standard. But fiber, although it is put as a subcategory to a carbohydrate, it doesn't carry any calories at all. There is, it's not nutritive. There's no nutrition in fiber. There's nothing. And, and 100% yeah. is going to be excreted. None of it is absorbed in the bloodstream. Right. And there's no, no carbohydrate, true carbohydrate, that's going to be converted into blood glucose and enter your bloodstream. It's just, it's a, I don't want to call it wood chips because it's not. I mean, because that's... Yeah. that's, that's, that's <laughs> Don't eat wood chips. Roughage. It's roughage. <laughs> roughage. We can call it roughage. Yeah. But a lot of people don't understand that that, that is a very complex saccharide, this, this, um, the fiber. It's a very branched. And when you get into your simpler sugars, when so you're talking just your white flowers, then there it's not a mini branched molecule. It's very easy to break down. But if you can mix it with those mini branched molecules, then you have to you gotta sort it all out. You gotta get rid of the 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 fiber so that you can get to the rest of this molecule and break it down and then you absorb it. So two things with that. I'm curious, what is your position on grains? Because when I studied, I studied a lot of my studies included macrobiotics, which are very grain heavy. And I, I find grains when they're prepared properly and, and combined properly to be very healing. Um, grains and carbohydrates get this huge negative rep, but it's because rep, because we're talking about uh, the refined version of these things. The, the, the further they are from their whole natural state, the less nutritive they are, the higher they are in sugar and less fiber they have. But in their natural state, what, what is your personal experience with the health benefits of, of grains? The grains, we need them. We have to have carbohydrates. We don't want to just be living on proteins alone uh, or fats alone. We have to have carbohydrates because they are a very important fuel. They, they are essential to our health. But when we have a large glut of these refined carbohydrates, that's where the problem, and, and that's all that the meal is. Like you mm -hmm. said, you can have some, you know, the piece of white, you know, bread or whatever you're having, but you have it with this other other whole meal that's got all the rest of these things in it. So that is so that that the the brand that we took out and the fiber that we took out when we made the white flour, well, we've actually put it back in by all the vegetables we just ate with it and the beans, which carry both insoluble and mainly soluble fiber. You have proteins, which are very difficult to digest. You have some fats in there. And so then we have a whole mix. So it's not just this one big dump load mm -hmm. yeah. of starch. That's great to hear because for people that love their slice of bread or garlic toast or something it's yeah. nice that they can enjoy that if the meal's balanced without worrying about a spike right okay. so there's some good news my listeners there are some good news on, on this episode today so then <laughs> let's go to the actual refined carbohydrates as simple sugars tell us about those and how the body responds the, probably the worst thing we can adjust they, right? they're, the, they're the worst thing that you can do i mean i don't have there's not a place i there is not a place for them and that's my <laughs> yeah yeah I and it. I mean, and that is what most people are drawn to. And it's mm. because this large influx of blood glucose very rapidly sets off a whole chain of, of hormonal reactions that will initially give you a sense of a high or just 
a sense of well-being for just moments. Mm. Then you will crash. And then you have to have more sugar to get that feeling back. You have a release of dopamine when you eat a large amount of sugar as well as serotonin. And you just, it's just like, I feel more calm. And when people are stressed, that's what they turn to. They're not turning to a bowl of noodles. They're going to go for whatever, the sweet roll, the piece of candy, whatever it is, sweet. And that's because they're getting a large hormonal response, but it leaves you lower than it found you. So if you were at at a certain level, then that's going to raise you up and you feel better. But then you're rapidly, when I say rapidly, this is oftentimes in less than 30 minutes, then you fall to where you back below where you were before and you're even lower than where you were when you ate sweet. And so this continual spike and drop, spike and drop, because that's what happens when mm-hmm. you eat simple or simple sugars, so they're sweets, then you will have this immediate rise in blood glucose and your blood glucose goes up so rapidly. I'm talking so fast mm-hmm. that there's a signal that you're, that your brain is getting that if your blood sugar continues to rise at rise at this rate of increase, you will go into what is called a diabetic coma and you will die. And that's and, when the threat response turns on. It's when the adrenals go to work, right? The nervous system gets activated, all these things. Everything gets activated because we're going to have to bring that blood glucose down because right. you are. And so, so it's like a it, crisis response the body goes into. It is. It is exactly what it is. It's a crisis. It's a, it's a fight and flight stress yeah. response. So we have to bring the blood sugar down. And so there's an overwhelming hormonal release. And the specific hormone that's going to be released is insulin, which will immediately drop that blood sugar. How fast? In a nice little gentle curve coming down? No, this is an emergency. And so we will produce enough insulin to bring this down as fast as it went up. And it will. And that brings it down so fast. Now we're getting the opposite signals. Like our blood sugars are going so low that that's the hypoglycemia. Now we're going into hypoglycemia, and now they're going to go so low that you're going to go into a another fatal state called insulin shock. You have too much insulin. All the sugar is being removed out of your bloodstream. It's being tucked away into as in a triacylglycerol. It's all converted into a fat. And all of that, is, and so it's no longer available as a carbohydrate because all your cells are dependent on burning this sugar, this blood glucose. That's what fuels the mitochondria, the little fuel-burning factory inside each mm-hmm. cell. It's not burning fat. It is not burning a, and, and triglycerides or fats. And that's what the sugar is converted into. So now we don't have enough sugar. And if you don't have enough sugar, then you will die. And that's mm-hmm. insulin shock. And so now we have, oh, no, now I'm falling too low. So then you get the signal. I need to have something sweet to eat. That's right. That's well, right. now you've got to have a second donut or whatever it is that you're yeah. eating. Then you go back through this, this, this spike up, and then you have the subsequent down. And then it, so you re- keep returning back to the sugar. It's it's very horrible. And then if you don't, you say, I, am, I refuse. I'm just going to be strong here, and I'm not going to eat the sugar. Well, you're going to have to have sugar from someplace. So mm-hmm. then you have to have an adrenal response mm-hmm. to be able to tell your liver to make the, there is a, a type of glycogen that is made. The liver makes a type of sugar and then it will make the sugar. But to make the sugar, it has to take a protein molecule and strip off the nitrogen. That's part of that molecule because it, it, all proteins have a nitrogen component and take away that nitrogen. And then you're left with carbon, oxygen, mm-hmm. and hydrogen, which is 
what a carbohydrate is made out of. So, haha, we have just made a sugar, but then you just had a release of a, of a nitrogen, which combines immediately with three hydrogen atoms, which is NH3, which is NH3, which is ammonia. Ammonia is a poison in the human bloodstream. It will kill you. So your kidneys go through antics and the stress response crisis. We have to clear this out and slap a OH particle or droxyl particle onto this NH3 to turn it into a urea compound. And then that stresses the kidney. You stress the liver. You stress your adrenal glands. You stress your entire endocrine system. And Ooh. it's just, and we just go up and down, up and down like this. And then we wonder why. For we decades. Have, for decades. And People we wonder, do this just every day. They do it for decades. Yeah. Oh, it's it's so bad, Louise. I mean, it, we have huge but, mental health problems. This is all yeah. mental health problems because yeah. I'm so depressed. I need to eat something sweet because that makes me feel better for the moment. And then yeah. we go through this. And then so we just now we've exhausted the adrenals. We can't make the adrenaline for you to feel like you're normal and level and can participate in life. So you're always down or you've got so much adrenaline flowing. You have the anxiety and you're having a panic attack. And it's just like, mm-hmm. <gasps> Can't see mm-hmm. this all these people I'm losing it. Ah, you know, and it's yeah, just, you do things and that and- was my whole teen years. Well, not my whole teen years, but later in my teenage years, exactly what I went through. It was I was pre-diabetic, and I had extreme hypoglycemia, and I would crash to the point of having to go to a hospital. I'd pass out in the street because yeah. there would be I, I would go so low and go so quickly into what you're explaining that shock to me. My cells couldn't even function. My, I had to black out. I'd wake mm-hmm. up attached to a bunch of fluids and IVs and electrolytes and uh, orange juice, you know, all these things. Uh, and I, I, think, I think what fascinates me about this is how the same trauma response, like, like we, we think of trauma as this huge catastrophic event that happens outside of our bodies. Yet eating this way is an inner trauma. It's it's a trauma that happens inside the body every hour when your system is going up and down like that. Even like when you're seeing the ammonia, I'm thinking, well, first the body is having a crisis trauma response because it's saying glucose is rising, we're going to die. So then it like forces the pancreas to make all this insulin. Then like you said, drops so quick, there's no blood glucose left. And the body's saying, I'm going to die now because there's no glucose to fuel my cells. Then the liver has to do that whole process of making it out of thin air, which has the metabolic waste of ammonia. And then the kidneys are like, I can't handle all this ammonia. I'm going to die now. And it's like each system is having this panic attack and throwing it to the next system. That's all happening in our bodies. What, just in the morning after a donut with coffee? I mean, it's quite profound, isn't it? It's very profound. And and if we all understood that and would just take that to heart, we would never again touch a sweet. They mm-hmm. are killers. They are killers. You know, we talked about the refined carbohydrates and they are they are nothing, nothing compared to the sweets. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting as well, because when you said if we all understood this, we also wouldn't say to ourselves, why is there a mental health epidemic in this country? You know, we we clearly see the, the government funded foods that are largely um, filling up the schools, including the tasty cakes and such like things you can find in a cafeteria at a school. I mean, these kids are eating these things from first grade to 12th. And everyone's wondering why there's the rampant ADHD and nervous tics and Tourette's and depression, all these things. It's uh, it's incredible because your serotonin, your dopamine, all these hormones are affected by this imbalance. So you can't even, I, I've always told people who've come to me because of behavioral issues for their children, whether their children are three or 23, 
I always say to them, you can't actually know who your child is until you change their diet. Like once you change this, give them a good year or so on something that's really stabilizing and nourishing, then you can assess the behavior. But their behavior is a healthy response to this inner you know, traumatic state they're having from all the sugar and such. Is, is that? Tell me a little bit about your clinical experience with children um, and adults around depression. How does it change when you remove the sugar? It is like day and night. I mm -hmm. mean, I hear this from my clients all the time that they have changed their child's diet and they didn't, it's just like the words are, he's a different child. Yep. That's what I see too. Child. He is. And it's because it's what you said. You're now meeting the real child underneath all that because he's, these are physiological responses and we get into you know well he's just a bad boy he's misbehaving mm -hmm. he's, you know he's acting out he's having a meltdown he's whatever i mean we see it all the time yep. but it's because of what they ate if you mm -hmm. would just give them a good good food then they can then process sure they're going to have hard times we all have hard times there's mm -hmm. other external stimuli coming at us but they would at least be able to handle it but right now it's not just the children, but they grow into teens and they grow into adults. And we That's have, right. I, I see it constantly. I see it all the time. And adults, if they will eat right, they will get better too. And they mm -hmm. will see the difference. They have to go through withdrawal because there's a withdrawal period. Nobody likes it where you're craving the sweets or craving the caffeine, you know, you're all that. But once you're through that withdrawal, it's mm -hmm. like, why did I ever do that to myself? Right, right. Well, you just used the W word that I wanted to bring in because we're talking about these children. And what you're seeing these children do when they're throwing themselves in the ground and screaming and slamming a door, it's the same thing a 40-year-old does at a rehab center, right? When they're withdrawing from a, an addictive substance they've been taking for decades because the system is so out of balance. And the way you just illustrated it, it's not like over a couple years you get out of balance. We're talking in minutes you get out of balance from refined, from simple sugars. So you're taking the sugar in within minutes, your biology gets out of balance. So you're talking about when a child's eating something sweet within 30 minutes, an hour, hour and a half ago, a relatively short amount of time, you're witnessing withdrawal symptoms because of their inner biochemical change. And I think with adults, the same is true. I see adults get grumpy within an hour of eating, you know, even a whole bag of potato chips, but the body is so big compared to a uh, child's where I've noticed there's a little more capacity for that shift. Whereas a little kid's body, I mean, it's it's within minutes, they just get thrown off their center so quickly. So I think that the withdrawal word is an important one to bring in because it is physiological, it is biochemical, it is hormonal. And when we're seeing a, a quote, bad child, what you're seeing is a child's body detoxing and trying to find balance from this instability of the, of the sugar addiction or the sugar habit. Uh, and, and I also wanted to say, I know you're you're very pure when it comes to no sugar, like not even a drop. What I've heard and what I've seen in, in the work that I've done is um, anything over a teaspoon will send you into the emergency state, right? Because it just takes over eight grams because your whole blood has eight grams, like your entire body has eight grams of sugar, which is profound. Eight grams is a teaspoon or less. Sometimes. <laughs> That's not that much sugar. Can you just expound on that a little bit for people listening? Yeah, it is. It is. I, I, I just can't emphasize it enough that just a small amount because, and oh, I'll, I'll just tell you this because I, I hear it all the time. Well, you know, I've got this sweet roll and it's got, you know, so many grams of sugar. And so if I cut it in half, 
and I will be eating less sugar. But it's what people don't understand. It's the density. Density is mass over volume. And so it's how much sugar is in the smallest part. Mm -hmm. You know, and so even just the one butterscotch candy, it's only one butterscotch candy. It's going to set into play this whole up and down motion. And you're going to have a, a stress response. And as we continue to do that through the years, boy, our health just wears down and then you mm -hmm. see the result with all of our our disease states, which aren't, you know, we don't have, we don't deal with, you know, diseases, you know, that that wipe out, you know, you know, the old diseases like plague and stuff like that. Now, COVID-19, let's set that one on the back burner because we won't talk about that. But but the, we don't see that. What we mm -hmm. see are these chronic disease states. We don't see infectious disease is what yep. I'm saying. Yep. Infectious disease, we don't see killing mass amounts of population. In, in like this, we're going to take the United States and the, you know the the first world nations, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But what we see is this chronic disease state. We have arthritis, we have diabetes, we have cancer, we have heart disease, we have strokes. It's all these chronic conditions. Those are the result of our diet. That's right, and that's yeah. it's so helpful because when people do I remember when I didn't know that and I was part of that demographic I had so many illnesses there's this kind of uh unconscious or subconscious cultural idea that that's just what bodies do right bodies just have high cholesterol and they just have high blood pressure and they just have strokes and they just have cancer and you you don't realize it's actually a relational experience between the body and the environment in this case we're talking about food stress is a whole other story but we're just talking about the the food we've been to our bodies and I find it fascinating that this during this holiday season, when it's the darkest part of the year, which already changes your hormones, we take in excessive amounts of fragrances, excessive amounts of carbohydrates, refined carbohydrates, and excessive amounts of simple sugars. And this also happens to be the highest percentage of the year where suicide is committed, where dep depression skyrockets, loneliness, isolation. I just get curious about that that cultural collective relationship to the foods the holidays that kind of like pimp these foods out to people and then what's happening in these bodies. Do you, do you notice that correlation as well? I see it all the time. And, and we do, we have to look at it as a multifaceted picture because we hear all the time, you know, it's because people are alone on the holidays and they don't have their family. This is why they committed suicide. You know, that's one factor that, could be coming in, but you have all the other things that they just ate the whole fruitcake or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Just, that's playing into this too. And then you have all the scented, whatever, all of these things are playing into it. So some things are within our control and those things that the things that are within our control, we need to control. We need to take responsibility and, and use our, our voluntary choices so that we don't go down those roads some things are outside of our control i can't help the poor woman that has none of her family is there and she's sitting in her apartment all by herself you know i'm that one i can't fix maybe she could maybe she could mm -hmm. call a friend and go next door or something like that but but the things with the food 
we can control those things. And people always say, well, but the holiday is all about food. That's because we have made it about food. We made it about, that's right. It doesn't. I go through every holiday just like everybody else does, but it's not about the food. It's because my children are all coming home. I have five children. I'm going to see them all. We're going to be in one place at one time, and I get to catch up with them and, and hear the news, and I get to see all my little new grandchildren that were born that I haven't seen, you know, in a while. And yeah. I get to and I get to be around family or I get to or I get some extra time off from my job. It's just yeah. like, well, I have a day off. What am I going to do with it? <laughs> book? I play the piano. Yeah, I got all these choices. Of things. <laughs> you know? so there's, there's so many things to do. Yeah. Eat. You can still enjoy a meal, but why don't you know? Maybe you don't have, you know, turkey every day and you're going to mm-hmm. have bone in turkey instead of, you know, and then you go through the elaborate, you know, making these healthy, you know, foods, but it shouldn't, I never, never focus on food. Mm-hmm. So many times, Louise, I just thought I will be so glad when I am in heaven because I don't have to eat. <laughs> you, know? you know, I think it's excellent because I think of, uh, I remember when I really made my shift with food and my whole body was transforming, I was healing and I just said, I'm not going to go back to that other way I used to eat. And, um, and I also, you know, just cause I do work so much in the trauma field, there are so many layers to food, right? You know, you've had the people where it, it is purely emotional and if the emotional undertones and overcouplings and associations aren't, aren't dealt with, you'll keep being kind of propelled to these things for some people. So it, it really helps to do some kind of therapy or trauma work to get to the root of why these behaviors, compulsions around food exist. So there is that piece. And then I love what you said about the holidays not being about food. Because when my wife and I go to her parents' house, we'll bring our little containers, you know, of food because they have their traditional, let's say like Thanksgiving meal and we have our non-traditional meal. And something shifts in my body, you know, in the last decade of doing that, where just like you said, the holiday doesn't become a day I have to recover from. <laughs> you know, I feel... <laughs> It's, it becomes this real day of ease and like reflection. And I get a break because the whole world's taking a break. Well, our whole world at least is taking a break. And I feel like, okay, I get time off. Everyone's together. I don't have to recover from eating all these things. It's it's almost like an advantage <laughs> instead of this thing where it's this big day. I'm super stressed with all the stuff I'm making. I eat so much. I'm exhausted for days or I'm sick afterwards. And so I think it's interesting to to uncouple, which is a word I talk about a lot on here, food from the holidays, which for some people listening, they're going to think we're crazy. They're like, but that's what the holiday is all about. It's about the food, but we've made it about the food. You know, the, even like the, the heritage, the religious, the cultural, there's so many roots of what the holidays really are. And, uh, we often use the holidays as service time. You know, we go out and we give food to the poor that's, you know, sitting on benches. You don't have family. That is so much more satisfying to me than eating a giant Thanksgiving meal. So I, I think it, it gets curious when you remove the food from it, something else emerges. Like you were saying, like hobbies or like I'm saying volunteer work or just rest, right? Yep. Yep. That's that's what it should be about. And then you'll truly be happy instead of... Yes, really. It's like true happiness. It's not simulated happiness from the sugar. Um <laughs> I don't know if there's anything else I want to ask. I mean, there's a million things I want to ask you, but about this topic, I'm thinking this might be a good place to start landing. But could you introduce us to what it would be like uh, at Karen Hurd's dinner table on Christmas Day? <laughs> like, what would we expect if you were if you were serving us, not your family, but just you by yourself? What would you be serving? Well, I would definitely be serving. 
um, a meat, some type of protein. It would probably be turkey because my family likes turkey. <laughs> so we would be eating the breast of turkey because that has the least amount of saturated fats and versus the dark. And then we will have most likely mock mashed potatoes, which are beans. They're just beans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, tell us about this. What is a mock mashed potato? I haven't heard of this All before. It is, is you can make them out of any bean, but I usually make them out of the white, the northern beans. And then you just, they have some, a few spices in them, some garlic and some onion. And you, you know, you, you, you blend them up. I mean, mm -hmm. you have to put them in a food processor and you blend them all up. And, and they're, they, they're not potatoes. They're just beans and so there's our beans and then we have to have whatever vegetables usually we have a salad you know with whatever you know there's all kinds of things that can go into a salad and then we'll have some green beans or another vegetable and and then um we'll have a, a say pumpkin pie but we usually <laughs> make it out of butternut squash which is okay. fine it's made yeah. out of pumpkin but butternut squash has a whole much more but there's no sugar in it there's just no sugar and then what we do you make do what do you what do you do with it? Oh, I we make it into a custard. I use almond milk, you know. So, Ooh, and then, you know, and then you you're baking a pie, and our pie crust is a bean pie crust. You can you know you can get bean flour, and so mm -hmm. we have a bean flour crust, and then there's no sugar in it, and then you have so it looks like a pie. But anybody that's coming from I'll call it the the regular world, you know. Yeah, yeah. You take a piece, and they say it's not sweet. It tastes like it's squash. But it is squash. <laughs> it is squash. And it's to you, it's probably the most decadent thing in the world because you have that sugar in thirty like, years. Oh, this is so nice. It's a you know, but that took effort because you're you know, it's it's a it's a custard, you know, and so oh yeah, absolutely. It, so that takes time, and because there's eggs in it too. There's eggs, mm -hmm. and then there's the almond milk, and then you you bake it and. Yeah. So it's, it's, that is awesome. And it's all yummy. I get, you know, when I was really, when I was deep in macrobiotics, I remember going to a restaurant and for dessert, I got steamed uh, kabocha squash with tahini dressing. And it tasted like candy, you know, because yeah. when you're, when you're off of the simple sugar wagon, your taste buds get so much more sophisticated. And the simplest, I mean, an apple sometimes is too sweet. Like it gets so, you can really taste every little sugar coming off of that natural food. That's a great spread. That's awesome. Well, everyone heard it. You can have your pie and eat it too. Karen just <laughs> taught us how to do it. You don't have to forego the pie. Thank you for your generosity and your fun and uh, just you know, everything you teach us. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Hope we didn't ruin the holidays for you all. <laughs> yes, you too. Ooh. that's the end of today's episode now let's take a moment to notice where we feel the episode in our bodies close your eyes take a breath and let whatever wants to come up come up and remember those sensations hold the wisdom that we're looking for if you want to go deeper visit holisticlifenavigation.com Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between 
a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.